0: It's Monday. Yud Gimel Elul Tavshin Ayin Dalel. We are coming to you live from the headquarters of Ariel Tours in New York. I'm Mary Weingarten. Welcome to the Israel Show on the Nahum Siegel Network. Been a lot of places. I've been all around the world. Seen a lot of faces. Never know where I was. Only rising back home. No we won't forget where we came from. This city won't change us. We beat through the same job. So that does count as Israeli music, because it's a song about home, going back to Israel. My name is Mayor Weingarten. Welcome one and all to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. We are here live every Monday immediately following J.M. in the A.M., 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Israel Time and around the world. Wherever you are, you can listen to the show at whatever time it is, whether you listen to it live or via the archives on the Nachum Siegel Network. NachumSiegel.com or via the great app, the NSN app, which is available both for iPhone and Android at the various stores. Get it because you will enjoy not only the Israel show, but the amazing spectrum of programming uh, that is developing on the Siegel network. During the show today, we will share with you just released information about the kidnapping that that united us all and captivated us all back in June, of Naftali, Gilad, and Ayal, Hashem Yikom Damam. The mastermind of that kidnapping was captured a few weeks ago and interrogated by the Shin Bet, and they have released some information which sheds light on what happened. So many of us are curious to know more details. What was their plan? Why did they kill them immediately? Was that the original plan? Was Hamas involved? And so forth. We'll get to that. We also have um, – I'm going to share with you a story written by Mati Friedman. Mati Friedman is a journalist and an author. He spent uh, years working for the AP Associated Press, which is um, one of the largest news providers in the world. Um, he was their Jerusalem uh, reporter, editor. And between 2006 and 2011, he wrote what I think is one of the most important pieces about media – uh, and Israel because it comes from within the inside the media somebody who has an inside view of how the media covers Israel this story is called an insider's guide to the most important story on earth and that's uh, sarcastic the most important story on earth that's one of the points he's making in his article we have a great Meir Milim segment Meir Milim is back as we kick off the um, year three, season three of the Naham Segal Network, we're back with a great Me'er segment and lots of Israeli music. Brand new Naftali Kalfa and Aaron Razel um, coming out with a music which I guess is inspired by everything that happened this summer the unity that we all felt and saw and were a part of it's called Achim Anachnu We Are Brothers Hineima Tov Humanaim, Achim Gam Yachad Azbau Yachad Kulanu we will not give up. We give up on nobody. We are all brothers. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You are tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. i e The debut of Achim Anachnu, Aaron Razel, and Naftoli Kalfa, brand new, and we bring it to you here on the Israel Show. My name is Mayor Weingart, and you're tuned to the Nachum Siegel Network. We bring you lots and lots of new Israeli music, as well as nostalgic old Israeli music, and stuff in between. That oops, sorry about that. Hopefully, you are enjoying. Um, so we promised you to discuss. Details about the kidnapping this past June, the kidnapping that united us all Gilad Naftali and Eyal Hashem Dam. The um, the mastermind, the leader, the initiator of this terror operation is um, a Chevron resident, an Arab by the name of Husam. Kawasma, the Kawasma clan, the Kawasma tribe, we actually spoke about them several months ago, are a large tribe in Hebron that has many, many subdivisions and many of whom are involved in terror. Many of whom, maybe even most of whom, are active members of the Hamas. Husam Kawasma decided that it would be a good idea to kidnap an Israeli and hold him for ransom. And so he begins a process that takes months and months and months of planning out meticulously what he's going to do and how he's going to carry out this, this plan of his. He needs first of all money because he understands that to do this he's going to need a car, actually two cars. He's going to need a car in which to kidnap the Israelis. And he's then going to need a getaway car. He'll dump the original car, get into a getaway car, and disappear. So he needs money for that. He needs money for ammunition and so forth. How does he get money? He contacts his brother. His brother, Mahmoud, lives in Aza and is active in Hamas, as is Husam. He asks his brother for financing. The brother who lives in Aza, he's no tzaddik either. He was in an Israeli prison because he was involved in a double homicide bombing which took place in 2004 in Beersheba. So he was tried in an Israeli court and he was sitting in prison. He had a 20 year prison sentence for his involvement. So why is he now free in Aza? Well, because he is one of the Gilad Shalit prisoner release. Prisoners who were released as part of the Gilad Shalit deal. And as time goes by, we realize how these people just went right back into terrorist involvement. I don't think anyone had any other opinion. I don't think anybody thought otherwise. But here we see it. One person was already murdered as a result of, um, of a Prisoner, of the prisoner release on uh, on Erev Pesach, on the way to Hebron. And now these three boys are killed. And in part, the collaboration is with one of the Gilad Shalit-released prisoners. So this brother in Aza, how does he get money to fund a terror operation in Hebron? He goes, yeah, he goes to a gamach. He goes to a terror gamach. It sounds crazy, but there is such a thing. There is such a thing as a terror gamach. <laughs> I know it sounds funny. I'm I'm sort of using a flippant thing, but the, these are foundations, supposedly f- charitable foundations in Gaza that are handled by the Hamas leadership and are available to terrorists to get money and fund their activities. And they get the money from Gaza, 220,000 shekel, I believe it is. They buy two cars, one for the kidnapping, one for the getaway. And two people are fingered to be the actual kidnappers. Marwan Kawasma, another member of this Kawasma family, and Amar Abu Ayish. These are the... These are the... Um, Kidnappers that are still missing, by the way. The person who was caught, Husam Kawasma, he was the mastermind. These two, the two who actually did the kidnapping and the killing, are still missing. Now the question is, what was their plan? Did it go the way they wanted to? Did it go awry? What happened that night? And what happened after? We'll get to that right after the next song. School started in Israel last week. We'll play a few uh, school-related songs, children-related songs. This one is Kish Yeled Omer Lo. It's brand new from Doron Sheffer. We're debuting it here on the Israel Show. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to the Nahum Siegel Network. <laughs> I'm a man, 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 i am a Another debut here on The Israel Show. My name is Mayor Wangat. You're tuned to the Natham Segal Network. That was Kshielet Omer Loh, Doron Sheffer, brand new, out of Israel. We are in the midst of telling you some of the new revelations that have uh, resulted from the Shin Bet investigation and interrogation of the mastermind and the leader of the kidnapping that took place this past summer, the kidnapping of Naftali Gilad and Eyal. The mastermind, Husam Kawasma, got funding from his brother in Aza, who was released in the Gilad Shalit prisoner swap. His brother goes to the Hamas, various Hamas funding sources, gets money, sends it in cash envelopes via relatives from Aza to Hevron. Husam Kawasma buys two cars, guns, prepares getaway, Plans and gets Marwan Kawasma and Amar Abu Ayash, two young Arabs from Hebron who are ready to carry out his plan, his terror plot of kidnapping an Israeli. Now we know from the police investigations and from the phone call that um, Gilad Shire made once they were kidnapped. We know that literally minutes after they entered the car, they realized they were in danger, they realized they were being kidnapped, and they were shot. And we know that that very same night, the three bodies were buried in a piece of uh, land that is owned by this Kawasma family. And that the uh, two murderers went into hiding. We know all that. But what was the plan? And, and so many people have asked this question. and It's so puzzling to so many. If they just wanted to kill three Jews, why did they have to kidnap them in the car and go through this whole thing? They could have just done what many Arabs have done before them, like a drive-by shooting. Drive-by, the Trempiada, um, the place on the Gushretzion Road where everyone waits for rides and just shoot up people why take three three uh, prisoners kidnap three three boys and then and then just shoot them and bury them and run away the whole thing didn't make sense but now we have an insight into what happened an insight into the evil that was the plan that um that they had their plan was to kidnap one person Preferably a young person who would not be able to resist too much. He wouldn't be armed like many of the older people in Yehudan Shomron, and take that one person and hide him in a little basement apartment that they had prepared in Hevron, and the plan was not. To tell anybody, this boy would have just disappeared from the face of the earth and nobody would know what happened to him. And as time would go by, the parents would would build up the public concern, very similar to the Gilad Shalit case, but in Gilad Shalit case, they knew that he was kidnapped right away. Here, it would be even worse because the unknown is much worse. When a parent doesn't know what happened to his kid, it's much worse. I'm sure that when these three families found out that their children were killed, they felt a certain relief vis-a-vis the, their previous feelings of not knowing what happened to them. And so the idea was to hide one kidnapped Israeli teenager in an apartment, in a basement apartment in Chevron that nobody would know about, bring him food and water, keep him alive for a year and maybe even two years and create a public emotion in Israel. Allow that to build and build and build and then reveal that they have this boy, this teenager, and they want to negotiate for prisoner's release, just like they did in the case of Gilad Shalit. That was their plan. We now know that. So what happened? What went wrong? Well, they were in a car, they were dressed as Jews, they were wearing kipot, they actually had Jewish music playing from the CD player in the car. Everything was planned out very well. They stopped at the Trempiada, at the place where people wait for rides, near Gush Etzion, in Gush Etzion, near near Shvut. One person, one teenager, came over. They asked, where are you going? He told them. They said, okay, get in. This is where their plan went went off. He knew that there were two other people waiting for a ride to the same area. So he said, hey, hey. Come over. This guy is going to where we need to go. And so suddenly, there are three people in the back seat of their car. And the kidnappers are panicked. They weren't planning on dealing with three. They weren't prepared to deal with three. And they didn't know what to do. They now realize that they're over their head. So, they start thinking... What to do? And the first thing they do is that they tell them that they're kidnapped and they show them their weapons to scare them. Probably the plan originally was to start driving in the direction and lull the person into some sense of security. But now they had to protect themselves. It was three against two. They show them that they have a gun. Gilad Shire bravely Gets out his cell phone and calls the police. Also explains why they didn't take away their cell phones. And we know that the kidnappers and the murderers, Marwan Kawasma and Amar Abu Ayash realize after a few seconds that the police were called. Their nightmare is getting worse. Their, their, their whole plan is gone awry. They wanted to kidnap one person. They now kidnapped three. They're in over their head. And now they're afraid any minute the army and the police are going to come into action. There's going to be helicopters looking for them. There's going to be roadblocks and they panic. And right then and there they decide that the best thing for them to do is shoot these three boys. And that's what they do. We hear that on the recording of the phone call as the phone remained open for quite a while. Then later that night at one in the morning Marwan Kawasma, one of the two kidnappers and murderers, comes to Chevron and meets with the mastermind, Husam and says, We're in trouble. We have three we got, things got complicated and we killed them. And so they go, they pick up Abu Ayash that was waiting near a local mosque. They travel around different roadblocks to Khalhul and bury the bodies. They didn't have that burial plot ready. It was all last minute because that, their whole plan had changed. It's hard to say. It's hard to say which would have been better. It is what it is. Would have been better had they, their plan succeeded and we would be now several months into a situation where a young Israeli teenager, maybe Gilad, maybe Naftali is missing. We'd all be praying for him. We'd all be wondering what happened to him. His parents would be going nuts. Is it better that the situation came out this way? Who's to say, we don't know, we can't know. But we do know that that's what happened. And that is how Naftali, Gilad, and Nayal, Hashem Yikom Damam, were killed. Husam Kawasma, the mastermind, is going to be put on trial in Israel. But Marwan Kawasma and Amar Abu Ayash... That night, they fled, and they're hiding, and eventually they'll be found, unless they made it out of the country. Maybe they're in Jordan, maybe they're in Aza. But if they're somewhere in Israel, they'll make a mistake at some point, and the Shinbet will find them, and then they'll get their day. I would think, I would hope, I shouldn't say I would think, I would hope that Israel would institute a death sentence for people like this, but they won't. Let's just pray that when they're caught, they're not eventually traded in another prisoner exchange. And the cycle would just continue. Yoni Rechter and Avner Kenner wrote Kol Ode. It's a song about a parent bringing his kid to school for the first day. It's become part of Israeli culture as the school year Begins. We have it here for you on the Israel Show. My name is Mayor Weingart, and you're tuned to the Nahum Siegel Network. May you hear me, segment coming up right after the song. <laughs> O lech lo bachov bevo של תשרי tishrei, el beit ha sefershuv yotz i ma yeladi. Ge ver ho lech ha chara vmashgi אחד שנה פניך פתוח כמו ech the most popular back-to-school song in Israel today. And the words are really beautiful. There, by Eli Mohar. The uh, melody is by uh, Yoni Rechter. It's about the cycle of life. The father bringing his child to the first day of school, remembering how his father brought him to school on the first day. Gever be'emtzah ha'boker. Gever be'lev chayav. A man, middle of the morning, the middle of his life, Aliad gader shel sefer levadoni tzav stands alone. Near the uh, school Aviv Pam Halach He remembers how once his father went after him to school, Humina Selishmoa at and he tries to hear those footsteps of his father, the footsteps of the past. My name is Mayor Weingart, and you're tuned to this show on the Nachum Siegel Network. As we promised It's a brand new season here on the Nachum Siegel Network, and we have a brand new Meir Milim segment. In our Meir Milim segment, we shed light on a word or phrase in the Hebrew language. Meir Milim is inspired by the Galait Sahel radio segments of Dr. Avshalom Kor and informed by the teachings of Dr. Lior Gottlieb. In the second part of the Shema, God makes us a promise. If we follow in his ways, we will be successful in business. In those days, business was agriculture, and doing well meant that the fields produced a lot. A hefty bounty. This trio of Dagan, Tirosh, and Yitzhar appears more than 60 times in Tanakh, Because they are three important economic commodities. Dagan is wheat, tirosh is wine, and yitzhar is oil. Today we'll answer the question, why is oil called yitzhar? Let's start in the Amidah, the Shemona Esrei. the modim, we thank God for his constant benevolence to us. The, to the goodness that you show us all the time. Erev the is night. Voker is morning. Sahorayim is the middle of the day. And now to, yes, Bill Cosby. Noah, who is that? It's the Lord. Noah. I want you to build an ark. What's an ark? When God gives Noah the work order for the ark, it includes a Tsohar. Tzohar Tasela la teva. We do know what an ark is, but what is a tzohar? Most commentators agree that the tzohar in the ark was a window. So now we have three words. Tzohar. Tsahoraim and Yitzhar. It's kinda hard to miss the common letters. Tsahar, Tsohar, Tsadi, Hey, Resh. But what's not so obvious is the common meaning. Yes, these three words have one thing in common, and that is light. Tsahoraim is the easiest. Noon is the brightest, lightest time of the day. Tsohar is the window, which let light into Noah's Ark, which leaves us with yitzhar, oil. How is oil connected with light? There are two possibilities. The obvious one, in ancient times, you lit up your dining room by sticking a wick into oil and setting it on fire. Oil produced light. Another possibility relates to the color of oil. It has that bright yellow color that reminds us of light and sunshine. Tzadi, Hei, reish They are all of one. Zahorayim, Tzahar, and yitzar all relate to light. Let's take it to the next step. In Hebrew, it's not unusual for certain letters to interchange. The letter Tzadi interchanges often with the letter Zayin. For example, to scream or cry out. Sometimes it's called a tseaka with a Tzadi, and sometimes a Ze'aka with a Zayin. Something small is Zair. And sometimes tsair, which today we usually designate small in age, young, but actually means small in general. And it makes sense that these two letters can interchange. They sound very similar. Ts and z. Try making the sounds with your mouth and you'll see why they're so close to each other. So it comes as no surprise that tsohar, light, is related to zohar. Or Zohar. Zohar is something that glows, that emits light. In the Kelmah we say, Ki Zohar Harakiyah Mazheirim They are Zohar. They shine. And there's actually a lot more to the Zohar and Zohar connection and other words that are related to it. We're going to save that for next week. In the meantime, let's just wrap up and put a nice light on the whole thing. Sohar is a window, and modern Hebrew used that way as well. Tzahorayim, both in Tanakh and in modern Hebrew, means midday, noontime, when the sun is at its highest. And Yitzhar is oil, oil that looks yellow and shiny like the sun, and with which we produce light. This segment was summed up, pretty much, in one sentence by the Ibn Ezra in his commentary, to that Pasuk in Parshat Noach, which talks about Tzohar, Tasela Teva. Tzohar, says the Ibn Ezra, Megzerat Tsahoraim is from the root of Tzahorayim, Umigizrato, and from it also, Yitzhar, the word Yitzhar, oil, Ba'avur or Haner, because the oil creates the light. That's this week's Meir Milim segment. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. The bet gimel hey hey at hey yok joke me, Kaf, can Men, man, but not With the Aleph Bet song, appropriate also for the start of the school year and the youngsters who are going into Kita Aleph and learning the Aleph Bet. My name is Maya Weingarten. You're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Thank you so much for making us a part of your day. Uh, tell your friends, tell your acquaintances, tell anyone who you think will enjoy this type of programming, information, news from Israel insight and inside the israeli scene and both um in actualia as they say and in music our facebook page facebook.com slash the israel show is a great place for you to interact with us uh during the show and uh, during the week we have 246 likes we're so close to 250 tell anybody uh you know that might uh, appreciate it, to go to facebook.com slash theisraelshow and like the page. Not, it's not about liking a particular post. It's about liking the actual page. Okay, now that we've done that, shameless plug. Um, I think that um, Mati Friedman, a journalist and an author from Israel, who last week released an article in Tablet Magazine online, We'll post a link to it on the Facebook page. It's called An Insider's Guide to the Most Important Story on Earth. Now, the most important story on earth should be in, in quotes, because he's saying it cynically. He means the uh, Israel-Arab conflict and how the media has made it the most important story on earth, when by far it is not. Well, Let's tell you first about Mati Friedman, who wrote the article. He was um, a reporter and editor in the Jerusalem Bureau of the AP, Associated Press, which is one of the world's largest news providers. He he worked for them between 2006 till the end of 2011. So he was there for for quite a while. He lived in Israel since 1995. Um, And this is a relatively long essay that he wrote. I'm going to try and sum it up and give you some quotes. The basic concept of it is that the media in Israel... It's not just that they're biased. No, the media in Israel have a story to tell. And whatever the facts are, don't matter to them. They're going to tell the story. The story is that there is a nebuch, victimized people called the Palestinian people. And there are a terrible, evil people. Called the Jews who are in a state called Israel. And the Jews want to hurt and kill these poor Palestinian people and steal their land. And the Palestinians are just innocent victims. That's the story that they want to tell. And damn the facts. It's amazing. It's amazing because I I think we sort of felt that way, and we knew that. But here's somebody on the inside who's telling you this is the way it is. He writes, the lasting importance of this summer's war doesn't lie in the war itself. That's not the news, the war. It lies instead in the way the war has been described and responded to abroad. The resurgence of the old anti-Semitism. Namely, a hostile obsession with Jews. By the way, the Canadian Prime Minister, when he spoke to Knesset, and we brought that to you months ago, said the same thing. This anti-Israel, this BDS, all these things, these are all the old anti-Semitism in a new wrapping. Marty Friedman says that this Resurgence of anti-Semitism is not to be found only amongst jihadi webmasters or radical activists. It is to be found first and foremost among the educated and respectable people who populate the international news industry. Some of them, he says, my former colleagues. It's, it's, it's a, It's an amazing damnation, if you will, of the media in Israel from one of their own. One of the things he points out is how the media focuses on Israel nonstop as if it is the most important story in the world, which it's not. We know today that it's not. Another point that he makes is we all think that the journalists in Gaza, for example, during the war, that they're scared, that they were scared, they were intimidated by the Hamas mafia, so they wouldn't report. He writes, if if critics imagine that journalists are clamoring to cover Hamas and are stymied by thugs and threats, it's generally not so. It's not what we think. It's not that they're intimidated. There are many low-risk ways to report Hamas actions. If the will is there, under bylines from Israel, under no byline, by citing Israeli sources, reporters are resourceful when they want to be. The fact is that Hamas intimidation is largely beside the point. Because the actions of Palestinians are beside the point for the journalists. Most reporters in Gaza believe, listen to this, their job is to document violence directed by Israel at Palestinian civilians. That is... Is the essence of the Israel story for the reporters. That's the way it is. Here's a great example. And, and, and quite frankly, to me, it was shocking. He writes that in early 2009, two colleagues of his, and he was working at the AP, one of the largest news sources, any, pick up any newspaper almost in the world, And most of the information doesn't come from, they don't have enough reporters to cover the world. They get it from news services, and there are two big ones, and one of them is AP, Associated Press. So he writes that in early 2009, for example, two colleagues of mine obtained information that Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Olmert had made a significant peace offer to the Palestinian Authority several months earlier. And the Palestinians had deemed it insufficient. This is a well-known story. We know the story. Ehud Olmert was ready to give it almost all away, just before his term ended in scandal. And Abu Mazen, Mahmoud Abbas, never came back with an answer. That's what we know. But this had not been reported yet, he writes. This was a scoop that AP had at that time. And it was or should have been one of the biggest stories of the year. The reporters obtained confirmation from both sides, which is fascinating, and one even saw a map, a map that Ehud Olmert sketched of where the border would run. But the top editors, listen to this, at the AP Bureau in Israel, decided that they would not publish the story a story where Israel is ready to concede, to give up almost everything, and the Palestinian Authority yet again rejects and says no. Shouldn't that be one of the most telling stories? And they have it as a scoop. Every journalist's dream. No, the editor refused to publish the story. Now he writes, Mati Friedman, in this article, some staffers were furious. It didn't help. Our narrative, he says, our narrative, quote-unquote, at AP, was that the Palestinians were moderate and that the Israelis were calcitrant and increasingly extreme. Reporting the Olmert offer, like delving too deeply into the subject of Hamas, would make that narrative look like nonsense. And so we were instructed to ignore it and did for more than a year and a half. That decision, he says, that decision taught me a lesson that should be clear to consumers of the Israel news stories. Many of the people deciding what you will read, what you will read and see, view their role not as explanatory, they don't view their role as explaining to you what is going on, but as political. Coverage is a weapon to be placed at the disposal of the side they like. This is from the inside. This is a journalist that worked for five years in the Jerusalem Bureau of Associated Press who finally opens up and blows the lid off of the insane, not only bias, but agenda that the media, the world media, and the message that they give has. Did you hear about this? Yeah, here and there there were reports about this article, but I don't think it's going to make much of a difference yet. Maybe cumulatively it will. He ends off, Marty Friedman does, he writes, many in the West clearly prefer the old comfort of parsing the moral failings of Jews and the familiar feeling of superiority that this brings them. They prefer that to confronting an unhappy and confusing reality. They may convince themselves that all of this is the Jews' problem and and, and indeed it's the Jews' fault. But journalists engage in these fantasies at the cost of their credibility and of their profession. And as Orwell would tell us, the world entertains fantasies at its peril. It's from Tablet Magazine. The author is Mati Friedman. M-A-T-T-I Friedman. It is worth reading. An insider's guide to the quote, most important story on earth. My name is Mayor Weingart and you're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nahum Siegel Network. Here's Udi Davidi. I am a man a Davidi. We're going to end off with Ovadia Hamama. Rissi Seir wrote, want to thank our sponsors, sponsors of the Israel show, Nefesh Benefesh. They provide a limb with uh, need based financial aid, employment resources, assistance with governmental absorption, community based guidance, and support. You know that the uh, Knesset Lipman, the member of Knesset, who made Aliyah with Nefesh Benefesh, is on a speaking tour in our area. Check out their website, dot nbn.org.il, for more information about that and all the other possibilities of Aliyah that they afford our great community. We're going to end off, as I said, Ovadia Hamama Chrissy Seher wrote, before that, we will thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your Facebook likes and comments. Thanks to the staff of the Nahum Siegel Network and my very special thanks, as always, to Nachum Siegel. Keep it tuned to the Nahum Siegel Network all day for great music Monday mix. Until next Monday, following JM in the AM, this is Mayor Weingart reminding you that nice guys do not finish last. They're just running in a different race.